0: A warm welcome to the launch of Kelly Easterling's exceptional new book published by Verso on Extra Statecraft, The Power of Infrastructure Space. I'm Susie Hall and I'm based both at LSE Cities and the Department of Sociology. I'd like to begin by thanking those who've helped organize our event tonight, especially Emma Reese, Cara Blakely and Hugh Lemmy at Verso. It's my particular pleasure to welcome Keller Easterling, Professor of Architecture at Yale University. Since the 1990s, Keller's work has engaged with a plethora of familiar spaces such as suburbia and highways that emerge out of our contemporary milieu. And her particular contribution has been to unpack the peculiar development compositions, and cultural effects that are of a particular time and place. Her writings include Seaside, American Town Plans, and Enduring Innocence, Global Architecture, and its political masquerades. Keller's latest book is quite simply an excellent read. There's a crescendo of applause outside. First, it brings together comparative details and textures of new infrastructures that are prolific in their expansion and in their replication. In Keller's exploration of export processing zones and global management standards, she articulates a theory of spatial expansion of the underregulated and highly corporatized spaces alongside systemic contagions of new forms of exclusivity and exploitation second this is an acutely provocative and political book one more than more than at home in the esteemed verso group. The writing is an intervention in itself, not only because of Keller's considered analysis of the proliferation of new authorities and new centralities that occur outside of the state, but it's especially a provocation because of how Keller engages with the possibilities of an alternative politics that is emerging within and through technological urbanisms. I'd now like to introduce my friend and colleague from the Department of Sociology at LSE, David Madden, who will give a brief response to Keller's talk tonight. David is a critical urban theorist and he works on writings on the city, public housing, and public space. Our format for the evening begins with Keller's talk, which will last about 45 minutes. David will give a short response of about 5 to 10 minutes, and then we'll open the floor for discussion and debate and questions. Um, close of the session, Keller will be available to sign copies of the book Um, and I'm told that the price has been reduced especially for tonight um, from £19 to £15 Um, and also to say please mobile phones or for on silent and the hashtag for tonight's talk is LSE um, LSE in capitals and state, LSE state thank you very much and please join me in welcoming Keller
1: much. Thank you, Susie. It's really a pleasure to be here. Thanks also for coming out in the middle of a really busy season. Um, It's very nice of you. Um, And it's great to be at a place uh, with so many researchers from whom I have so much to learn. Um, so. So... If we we speed through images of the spaces in which we or most of the world is swimming, we see a soupy mix of details and repeatable formulas, spatial products, free zone world cities, global standards... And some of the most consequential changes to the globalizing world are being written in the language of this almost infrastructural matrix space. It's not an infrastructure of pipes and wires under the ground, but a cartoon of abstract technical and economic logics that's pressing into view. It's a, it's a matrix space that I've, I've likened to a kind of software or operating system for shaping the city. And this infrastructure space generates de facto forms of polity that are capable of outpacing law, it's, and it's a secret weapon of some of the most powerful people on Earth. It, it even shapes what I've called a kind of extra-state craft, where that portmanteau, that sort of double entendre, means both outside of and in addition to the state. So so not a post-national world, but a world where the state has a new set of sneakier partners. Right now, this spatial operating system is is coded by experience economies by financial industry quants by 28 year old McKinsey consultants and World Bank yes-men and uh, quality management specialists the space is treated as a byproduct of, of informatics and the econo- economics and other technical languages econometrics um, and so sometimes it seems as if this matrix space this secret weapon of the most powerful. is a secret best kept from those of us who are trained to make it. I'm an architect and an urbanist, and there are many urbanists and architects and, and planners in the room. So, so as un- unlikely as it may seem, I'm arguing that this space brings to our art a new relevance, and even new aesthetic pleasures and political capacities, but it, it, maybe it's a relevance that's on the other side of an altered habit of mind. Um, and, to, and a book does present the possibility to rehearse a new habit of mind. It can be an adventure in thinking, um, uh, something to think with. And th- this book, Extra craft is ask, asking a lot. Um, it's asking the reader to unfocus eyes, to see not only the building, but the, but the matrix in which the building is suspended, And even more difficult uh, at a moment of ubiquitous computing and Internet of Things and Smart City and so on, it's asking us to see the space itself as an information system, whether or not it's coded with sensors or enhanced with digital technology. So uh, as Gregory Bateson said, it's asking us to see sort of a man, a tree, and an axe as an information system, the city itself as an information system and it's asking for a kind of split screen. In perceptions to see the discrepancy between what an organization is saying and what it's doing. I mean, there's, there's always in these spatial products, it is sort of typically the sweet or emotional story of Arnold Palmer golf for Beard Papa Cream Puffs that's decoupled from from more from from the from the more undeclared violence or, or productivity that's imminent in the organization itself. So it, the book is asking asking to be able to see that violence imminent in, in organization. And, and since many of the most interesting thinkers in both the arts and the sciences, some of them here, are, are also shifting focus from object to matrix, l- looking for a more complex context in which to question the assumptions of their master narratives or the authority of their supposed science, the book's putting forward infrastructure space as a fresh testbed of evidence. And it's asking, what if the world could use from us? I'm an architect, but what, what if the world could use from us form making in another register or gear? Our architects are largely trained to make object space, you know, that's controlled with uh, a geometry and that's assessed for its outline or shape. Um, and, and in some ways, the urbanist's master plan is also a kind of object form. And, and it's a perfectly reasonable artistic choice to to use that training to make object form but but what if there's an artistic an artistic curiosity about the active forms that are like bits of code in that software, the protocols, the routines, the schedules that determine how objects and content will be organized and circulated? In short, what if what if we know how to hack the operating system? And what if we know how to modulate the undeclared potential for productivity or violence that's latent in these organizations and I would argue under exploited in government? Governance. So, and and finally, what if infrastructure space is um, tutoring us not only in an expanded repertoire of form making, but also a surprising and and unorthodox repertoire of political activism? So, so I want to talk about those things, but but I want to just first put some evidence on the table. Of all the spatial softwares that are currently circulating around the world, a dominant software, one dominant software is called the Free Zone. It's an infrastructure technology that the world now uses to make cities promotion, you were seeing some of it when you were coming in, a kind of urban porn. And the promotional videos are always the same. They begin in the stratosphere and drop down through clouds and locate a point that's uh, supposed to be the center of the earth and a a deep movie trailer voice comes on to list all the requisite features and there's stirring music that you would hear in a western or an adventure movie that accompanies this swoop through cartoon skylines and resorts and sunflowers. What what is this um, zone? Well it's a it's a relatively dumb enclave form. It produces suboptimal economic results, and no one really knows why we use it, except that the world's become addicted to the incentivized urbanism that it that it offers. But as a software, it's kind of it's more primitive than MS-DOS. Um, but the wild mutations of this form over the last 30 years make the world look, in, to me, insanely penetrable. Um, uh, I mean, of course, the form has ancient roots in pirate enclaves and free ports, but the zone mutated in the early 20th century from a um, warehousing compound for store and custom-free trade to a mid-century UN-promoted um, Export processing zone, a formula which they were promoting as, a, as, 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 a, as, a, as an instrument for jump-starting the economies of developing countries. And this export processing zone set up an authority independent <laughs> from the laws of the host country that offered uh, all the incentives, um, the you know, f- deregulation of labor and environmental law, uh, no taxes, freehold property, and so on. And in, and in, and in, the, in the promotional videos. Is the, that deep voice is repeating all of those same uh, mantras of free trade um, uh, that uh, you know, are describing somebody else's freedom uh, and while it remained in the backstage, the zone zone growth accelerated exponentially after China adopted it as a market experiment and Now China uh, employs most of the zone labor in the world making in some ways making the zone a self fulfilling prophecy. You need a thought that, that the zone would dissolve back into the um, economy of the host country, but it, but it did the opposite. Instead, every program wanted to locate in the zone. Why wouldn't it to enjoy this kind of lubricated situation and, and a, a political quarantine? The zone is a perfect island of corporate externalizing. So the zone swallowed the city. And now takes center stage as the germ of a city building epidemic that reproduces all the glittering mimics of Dubai and Singapore and Hong Kong and around the world. So the zone that used to look like this, or this, this is Maquiador and Tijuana, or this, now it looks like this, or this, or this. And while in the 60s uh, there were a handful of zones, today there are thousands, some of them measured in hectares, some of them measured in square kilometers, and it's still, while it hasn't really delivered on its promises, its economic promises, it's treated by global consultancies still as the essential signal to enter the, the global marketplace. The zone is the nexus of every um, global technology, often described as kind of clean slate, one stop entry into the economy of a foreign country, the site of headquartering for every global player, and it's become a kind of um, self-perpetuating agent of state territory. In its sweatshops and dormitories are still hidden, kind of legally stabilized, but fairly grisly (laughs) forms of labor abuse. And yet, the zone... Um, call, often calls itself a city. City is often in the name of the zone. Perhaps even more than China, Dubai has used the zone to some advantage. You all know it, that the zone is a kind of that. that Dubai is an aggregate of enclaves, um, you know, which are constructed around every imaginable program, and often have the name city. Dubai, Maritime City, Dubai Knowledge Village, Dubai Technopark, Dubai Media City, and each one has a kind of raft of different. Uh, incentives. Dubai Media City. There's free speech for some. Um, Dubai outsourcing. This is Dubai International City. But it's a, it's all right around the world. This is high tech city outside of Hyderabad. Uh, and now uh, it's interesting that major cities want their own zone doppelgangers that allow state and non-state actors to use each other as as brand or proxy or camouflage. This is, this is where you really see a kind of vivid vessel of extra-state craft. This is New Songdo City, you probably know, uh, uh, which is a kind of double of Seoul in the Incheon Free Trade Zone, what its developer Stanley Gale calls a city in a box. Um, and it's based on New York, Venice, and Sydney, so it has the Central Park, you know, this uh, Canal Street World Trade Tower. But, but surpassing irony um, is Astana, which is the newly minted capital of Kazakhstan, a- as, a, as, a, as a, 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 a central zone district in the city. So it's a, it's a capital as a center of law located in a zone in a kind of lawless area. It's President Nazarbayev's uh, kind of paleo-Genghis competition with Dubai. Um, and you see here, I mean, this is Astana, it not only is a zone uh, contagious, but then things are contagious within a population of zones, like the, the sort of Macau-style colored fountain, like wildfire through this population of zones. In some ways, the Zones is also just a strange intentional community with faith in golf. And um, it's a place where everyone speaks a kind of Esperanto of standards like ISO quality, management ease, or a place of fantasy resorts and palaces where petrodollars can get away to relax. And relax, its relaxation and openness and freedom are the scripts that are used to portray the organizational and political constitution of the zone, but it, it in reality, maintains autonomous control over a closed loop of circumstances. It has as an isomorphic disposition, and in, in many of these zones, uh, there are centers of transshipment, they're pulling down enormous amounts of information, but in a kind of information paradox, they are Deploying lots of information to remain information poor, Um, a kind of what I've called a kind of special stupidity that's a common tool of power. While it's extolled, as still extolled, as an instrument of economic liberalism, the zone really often trades state bureaucracy for even more complex layers of extra-state craft, governance, obviously market manipulation. For all its efforts to be apolitical, the zone often lands in the crosshairs of global conflict. So this supposed tool of economic and logistical rationalization is often a perfect crucible of irrationality and yet the next poorest country wants its, its mirror-tiled skyline at any cost this is <laughs> where they had to build they they it's since been cancelled but it was going to have to it was going to require 80 foot um, uh, found, 80 foot depths to get to foundations that would support those skyscrapers but at any, at any cost So we can can also look at another huge shift in global infrastructure space that I'm sure is familiar to many of you by dropping down into East Africa, specifically Kenya, um, one of the last places on Earth to receive international fiber optic cable and now one of the places that's poised to uh, experience some of the most explosive telecommunications growth. So this is what it looked like at the beginning of 2009 with all the, fab- with all the fiber optic cable lying in tangles at the bottom of the sea. Um, still one of the most populous areas of the earth was relying on really expensive satellite broadband <clears throat> that would cost 20 to 40 times what, what you would pay in the developed world. But now it has three international submarine cables. It's flush with broadband that's serving really dense populations of cell phones. These are the kinds of images that appear in the telecom ads. Um... And I'll just repeat something that I'm, I also, I'm sure you know. that in, in, in 2000, there were 750 million cell phone subscriptions. Now there are 6.8 billion, and three-quarters of them are in the developing world. It's, it's what the World Bank has called the world's largest shared platform, as important as water. Um, and in Kenya, there are plenty of economists and McKinseyites and bankers on the ground <clears throat> and the development expertise is is spoken in languages of business and technology and informatics and econometrics um, links of broadband capacity to GDP etc um, for what is being called development 2.0 um, There are plenty of entrepreneurs writing software for the billions of cell phones. You you know that the, the, the business plans are coming, the new kind of business models are coming from this part of the world. Entrepreneurs who know how to use cell phones as a multiplier and a carrier for new relationships, and and new relationships that that, that potentially have an enormous political consequences, but this but the spatial consequences again are treated as a kind of byproduct. And I think for for any urbanist worth their salt, you know, we we would know how a railroad or a highway territorializes, but we're we're probably underrehearsed um, in understanding the spatial consequences of broad Broadband and mobile telephony. The fixed fiber that territorializes like railroad, the, the atomized set of handsets, and then all the switches in between, any one of which can create a choke point or a monopoly. So so no one is deliberately writing the protocols that Start with space in the broadband technica- technoscape. <clears throat> it's, it, it, it's often only the generic and outmoded zone that's, that's on offer. This is Ati River zone outside of Nairobi. Um, and things like uh Kanza, Techno City, same same uh, format uh, or Lapset are treated like a good idea. Lapset is a proposed transportation card between Lamu and Juba, um, capital of South Sudan, South Sudan. A transportation corridor that would be dotted with zone cities and resorts, and would carry oil to the coast. So it's an old and, and potentially dangerous development formula around heavy resource extraction, and more is planned, like Matukos' new city or or new Kenya-China economic zone. So, um, so to this space, this secret weapon of the most powerful players on Earth. We, we could offer object form. Um, architects do this. Um, we could design the next skyscraper. But, it, but if there's an artistic curiosity about designing not only object forms, but also active forms that, that are like little bits of code in, in the software that might hack some of the world's most, most powerful spatial softwares, how do you do it? Um, how, how does one design a spatial interplay that's like software, that's like little machines for producing space? Well, if I, I hope if I've done my job in this book, I. Um there should be a sense that you already know how to do it. And many of you here in this room are already doing it. Um, um, it you should already have a sense of how to do it, that, it, that, it's, that it's only, a, for architects, maybe a, a skill or a talent that's just been under-rehearsed or underindulged. Because I think you, you, you look at this field of identical suburban houses and you see object forms. But we also know, there, we also know there's a kind of simple software operating system that's doing something in this landscape. It's making some, like an operating system, making some things possible and some things impossible. In this case, it's it's pretty dumb. It's a a simple bit of code. It's it's a simple active form at work here. It's just a multiplier um, that's generating multiple slabs and frames and roofs in a kind of agricultural spatial matrix. So we can... We can rush up to one of those structures and redesign a single house with object forms. But what but, but I've been arguing to architects is that it extends our power to also design an active form, another multiplier or contagion that uses the organization as a carrier. And... You know, infrastructure space filled with multipliers that uh, potentially change the landscape, like, like the elevator or the interplay between an elevator and a skeletal steel frame. In some ways, the cell phone is a new elevator. So even though we're not so accustomed to thinking of spaces as having agency or as being themselves information systems, spaces, however static, possess agency and information that resides in, in what... In, in what we can only call kind of disposition, the, the character or propensity of an organization that resides in activity, um, the potentials that are latent in an arrangement. Also, not so mysterious. Um, a ball on an inclined plane possesses disposition through its geometry and relative position. And, and everyone in this room already knows something about the topology or wiring of an organization as a marker of disposition. Network topology begins with an urban question like the Konigsberg Bridge problem, which I'm, which I'm sure you know. Um, so, so we know the disposition imminent in topology in sequence. In relationship, in linkage. We know the disposition of these organizations. Uh, We we even know something about their political temperament. We know the ones that that um, concentrate power or authority or violence. We know which one of these is like a smuggling ring, Um, which one of these is like mainframe computing, which one's like a railroad which one is like what we think the Internet is but really isn't, or, or, or which one is like fire chat that the protesters in Hong Kong are using to avoid and the sort of central kill switch. So a, a simple example, of a, 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 another simple example of a spatial software is Savannah, 18th century American city. And Oglethorpe didn't design the plat, the object form, um, but rather or the, he designed a software or a sort of growth protocol <clears throat> that the town would grow by wards, um, and it, in each ward had a sort of specific instruction uh, for quotients of public and private space and then also a green space um, as well as, and then every time you got a ward, you had to reserve a, a, a quotient of agricultural space beyond. So, in some ways, <clears throat> you know, there's geometry there; it's a thing. But in some ways, it's not a thing, but an instruction for relationships between things. So you didn't you didn't know the shape of the town's outline. Even while you had an explicit measured spatial instruction, it was like a governor, like a thermostat as a governor, an interplay between counterbalancing spatial variables or a kind of time-released instruction for the ongoing activities of urban space. So so we can design a multiplier, a delta, a valve, a governor, a switch. We can tune a topology. All these things are like markers, like bits of code or active forms in the spatial equivalent of a software. But they shape not a single object. They shape a stream of objects. And I sort of hasten to say... um, would really hasten to say this if it was an all architecture audience, but um, this is the non-modern proposition. Um, active form doesn't replace object form. It works with it. It's always part of it. It's it's always there. It propels it, but and maybe it, it propels it into a redoubled territory of operation. Uh, that's at least what I'm arguing. That, that One, as I said, that, that brings different aesthetic pleasures and, and also different um, political capacities. So in in addition to object forms like buildings and master plans, um, or some of the econometrics or international standards that are familiar tools of global governance, designers can manage a population effect, uh, or or a, 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 an interplay of interdependencies. So a hack can release a germ or establish a kind of time-released interplay. So if we return to the zone. Um, In addition to designing a new skyscraper, We can take advantage of the fact that the zone is a contagious platform. We can design something to multiply within the zone and potentially change it as radically as it's changed in the last 30 years. And and maybe given the zone's ambition to be a city, it may already carry the genetics of its own reversal, its own antidote. Um, one, One way to hack the zone might be to... Think about mapping some selected, emphasize selected, zone incentives back into existing cities rather than ex-urban enclaves. So, so, so back into to Quito and Nairobi, and uh, uh, instead of the the, the ex-urban enclaves um, that surround them, and in doing so, return the zone to the rule of law um, for. Uh, um, oversight of of the treatment of labor, and and finally, more directly, return financial benefits to the domestic economy. I mean, it's a, it's a simple idea, um, but but could it become powerful if it's positioned to become a multiplier within a population of zones? Is it the difference between designing a master plan and exploiting a contagion? And and beyond the multiplier, just as there's a, an interdependence between something like public and private space in Savannah, can, can you make a a time-released interplay of counterbalancing forces that protects that protects a balance of power and resources and spaces. In, in Nairobi, for instance. Um, I'm going to this very quickly, but you know, can, can zone incentives be linked to much-needed transit, be benefiting Nairobi while also delivering uh, workers to the businesses, uh, zone businesses. And in in the broadband technoscape, if the if the the sort of constant desired outcome is access to information, crucial is not only the access to the digital information, but but access to the information of the city. If we're seeing the city as a as an information system, um, outside Nairobi, uh, an active form might also place broadband and roads in an interdependence. Um, so so dialing up broadband that attracts universities and tourism and, and tourism and research stations and so on may result in dialing down roads that would disrupt the wilderness and the indigenous culture and also, in some cases, disrupt the information carried in space for all the things that we... for all the hopes that are sometimes uh, placed on the on the new road. Um, also, uh, while an object form usually results in the addition of building material, if, if we rehearse this habit of mind about a software of interdependence or an interplay of forces, can we think not only about... Um, Sort of making the development machine lurch forward, but can we think about making it go into reverse? Um, can we use an interplay of counterbalancing forces to target or concentrate or shrink, even delete development? This is something that I've been thinking of that was a kind of hors d'oeuvre to the extra state craft book, but a kind of protocols of subtraction in the floodplains of New Orleans or Bangkok or the Amazon rainforest or Or McMansion suburbia, and I'll show you a little. I'll show you just a sort of cartoon of this because I don't have time to go into detail. But but one software of subtraction that I was working with is something like Savannah in reverse, or like a reverse game of Go, where the Chinese game, Chinese war game of Go, where you're not you're not making walls, but making clearings and strategizing about being around those clearings. Uh, but a kind of ratcheting interplay between properties that can even be remote to each other. Um, and, and less important than the details of this software, it's just the idea, the habit of mind, of, of, of designing interplay itself. So the active forms and, and the dispositions they generate are, 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 could they be potential markers or diagnostics in the fluid politics of extraterrestrial craft? And, and the aesthetic, the aesthetic habits are different. Um, if, if you were navigating a river, you would use all the little dimples and ripples and the surface as as markers of, of what you could only call the, the the river's disposition, all the unfolding potentials of the inherent agency of the river. Um, and and in that case, disposition is something for which there can only be dynamic or indeterminate markers. Disposition is looking at not the shape of the game piece, but the way way the game piece plays, not what's printed on the fabric, but the way the fabric floats. Not the the, um, master plan of the field, but how the field changes. So the markers we use in all those cases are, and this sounds contradictory, but the, the markers that we use are indeterminate to be practical. Um, um, it is to, to maybe to borrow from Gilbert Ryle about knowing how instead of knowing that. You don't know, you don't know the right answer to navigating a river. You know, you know how to navigate a river. And the book is, I think, less about what to do um, and more about how to do it about rehearsing a habit of mine that thinks that way. Also, adjusting the active forms of disposition can be not only indeterminate, but there's another opening. They can be undeclared or decoupled from declaration. So So if one becomes good at the split screen, you can manipulate what the organization is saying and what it is doing, just like the sneakiest players in extra state craft. And maybe it's at this junction where we can see not only some different aesthetic pleasures, but also some different political capacities where political Inflections of, of active forms in infrastructure space. And, they, and they're often different from the familiar scripts of political activism, where there are strongly held forthright beliefs that uh, galvanize at least around some kind of provisional declaration, a fight for solidarity, decency, justice, where dissent and resistance and refuse, as resistance and refusal must often um, assume an oppositional stance. it has to. An activist can, may fight and die for their principles using techniques that have at certain junctures in, the, in history require enormous courage to enact, you know, David must kill Goliath and yet um, many powerful players in infrastructure space that survive on on fluid and undeclared intentions, uh, and then for them it's 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 easy to toy with and trick dissent if declaration is the only thing that constitutes information. When targeted, they wander away from the bullseye, or or Goliath finds a way to come costumed as David, and in, in these situations, dissent is is left shaking its fist at an effigy. It, it's a arrived at the at the at the barricade and the the stealthier forms of violence are somehow happening over your shoulder so there, there are surely moments when dissent must stand up and give it a name uh, and uh, assume a stance of resistance, a binary stance of resistance. But I'm trying with infrastructure space to say, see if, if supporting this dissent, the, the dispositional capacities of infrastructure space might be more performative than prescriptive. They might offer a dissensus that's harder to target, an activism that's less interesting. In binaries, it's less interested in being right, um, maybe tutoring a shrewder or cagier counter to some of the lubricated, stealthy agility of, of global powers. Um, an alternative extra statecraft where the declared intention may be less important than the undeclared activity and righteousness may be less important than the discrepant or the fictional or the sly. So just as many of the most powerful people on earth find it really convenient to have a proxy and have an extra pirate and uh, uh, extra players, maybe um, uh, the most familiar forms of activism might benefit from a kind of undisclosed partner or an unwill Unwelcome auxiliary uh, uh, to soften up the terrain uh, so that the declarative activism has a better chance of success. So, the active forms of infrastructure space can be inflected with some unusual things like gossip and rumor and gifts and compliance and comedy and remote controls and meaninglessness and misdirection and uh, things that are not part of the usual. Uh, activist repertoire. For instance, a narrative active form like rumor can attach to a multiplier to enhance its power and tuning, and tuning infrastructure space is like crafting a medium of gossip. It's, it's filled with, with multipliers and maybe with some of the, the incredibly powerful spatial products in the world, maybe you only have a chance if you can deploy a kind of organizational and narrative active form. A couple of years ago, uh, I was invited to a conference of zone developers, and I tried to explain to them, you know, that, that you know I was a critic of the zone, I was a sort of Trojan horse, but they were very nice about it, and they really wanted me to come. So, so I realized it was a perfect place to tell a little lie or a big lie, um, to sort of spread a rumor uh, that the next smartest zone developers were locating and were locating selected incentives back in the city. Um, they were advertising the fact that they were returning to the of law, and they, and there were plenty of people who bid on that hook. Um, so, 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 what becomes the new contagious symbolic capital? Uh, and it's certainly no more <coughs> unlikely than buildings shaped like dolphins and, and diamonds. A panda, as another non-oppositional political inflection to active forms of, of interplay, it's the sweet arm-twisting gift, like China's gift to Taiwan of two pandas, whose names, when translated, meant unity or reunion. Um, the zone incentives, the broadband capacity, all—all all those things might be the same kinds of leveraging gifts, but they're often n- not used to leverage anything on behalf of the host country. They're not part of an active form of, of, or not used to leverage enough um, in an active form of interplay. In, in addition to a kind of binary resistance, also consider the power of a kind of exaggerated compliance um, that potentially inflects interplay. Um, James C. Scott, who you probably read in, in *Domination and the Arts of Resistance*, um, provides this great example. He's telling a story about Milan Kundera's *The Joke*, where the the prisoners have to run a, a race against the guards, and they know they have to they know they have to lose, so they they get together and decide to all run very slowly in this pantomime against the sprinting guards and their, their compliance disarms authority and delivers independence from authority. So in extra state craft Maybe uh, picking one's, one's not only picking one's battles, but picking one's submissions, Um, because submission is 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 sometimes an invisible, non-controversial way of gaining advantage in a field without drawing attention to a larger strategy. We've seen the binary dispositions of head-to-head conflict, but the, another binary, uh, the double, it, it works on mimicry. It can be a source of confusion or disguise or trickery. The double's the shill or the proxy, like the twin siblings that can fool the world, or like the or like those double zone cities that we were just looking at or consider the political capacity of a switch or a remote that um, benefits um, from remaining not only indirect but also undetected can recondition something at a distance in space and time and so often for architects maybe also activists you know we long to go to the, we, there's some kind of authentic authenticity in going to the local place and um, uh, solving the problem um, uh, Um, When the real toggles of urbanity and power may be elsewhere, in infrastructure space, maybe it's not always a dual, um, but the dispositional register means that you're not sort of squaring up against every weed in the field, but going to the side and changing some chemistry in the soil. And finally, you know, r- rather than engaging the fight, with the risk of escalating it or being drawn into its vortex, active forms might be politically enhanced by distracting, by, 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 by the meaninglessness that's considered to be a complete evacuation of principles, uh, by the comedy that uh, can be quite politically powerful. Misdirections and distractions can lull and redirect the most intractable political situations, and comedy and obfuscation and irrational desires and circuitous stories are are lubricants with enormous political instrumentality. In some ways, it's all I see. So the discrepant and the dispositional are powerful. You can almost imagine a sneakier, less violent, less righteous David that's perhaps um, maybe even more vigilant because well, first of all, he would never go to the trouble of killing Goliath um, if he could get if he could manipulate Goliath into doing work. And it's manipulation that's not collusion, it's not working from the inside, it's manipulation. Um, uh, and also maybe even more vigilant in the sense that that it takes into account dynamic markers rather than absolutes. So these, these techniques, um, these inflections of active forms are maybe not taught, maybe they're picked up, like the training of a hustler or a confidence man. It's about knowing how, not knowing that. But when we pan back over this matrix space, maybe we see nothing but artistic opportunities with an additional kind of pleasure and excess an art of infrastructure space. And while its irrationality and invisibility and discrepancy make infrastructure space the secret weapon of some of the most powerful people on Earth, maybe we can say two can play at this game. Thank you.
2: Thank. You. Sorry, I'm a little bit hypnotized. Oh, should by, I, should um, I? By the um, moving images. Yeah. Um, thank you. Um, I want to thank uh, Susie Hall for inviting me to respond, and thank Keller Easterling for such a fascinating and uh, stimulating talk and book. Um, I was just saying to Susie before this event started that this is really an incredibly vibrant work, and um, I'm not going to dare try to summarize it in a few minutes, though um, you, you did a really excellent job of um, of communicating these complicated arguments in such a short period of time. Um, I think one of the things that makes this book so complex is that it 's speaking to different audiences and speaking in different languages and, and using different knowledges so you 're clearly speaking to architects and architectural thinkers, um, but this is also I think a work of social and political theory, um, a work uh, for urbanists, for sociologists and um, and uh, in, in some ways quite a, a sort of charmingly old fashioned guide for political activists. Um, and um, I think that's one of the book's great strengths. Um, as well, it's, it's quite a, a sort of literary object in its own right. I mean, some parts um, where you're, you're quite uh, fluidly sort of elucidating and combining different discourses it reminded me a bit of a W.G. Sebald novel, so I, uh, I enjoyed it uh, in that way as well. Um, as I said, I'm not going to try to sort of summarize this talk as a whole or um, offer a, a reading of the book but I just want to raise a few key questions and um, sort of push you a bit in some places and um, pose some questions to you and and to the audience um, so first I was wondering if we could speak a bit more about urbanization and uh, your, your model of urbanization and especially zone urbanization um, as you all heard, one of uh, one of the major points in extra statecraft is that in the contemporary wor- world, urbanization tends to take the, the form of a sort of universe of proliferating and mutating zones. Um, zones, as you put it, are the world's global urban addiction. Um, and as you, as you describe them, zones are spaces of exception, where normal infrastructural forms and hence normal patterns of urbanization are suspended. Um, So in zones, urbanization doesn't follow the... The, the models that we're, uh, we're sort of used to seeing in terms of how cities grow. Um, as you say, urbanization zones is incentivized towards particular goals and projects. Um, so zones are sort of frontier boom towns, places of loosened regulation, um, but as you say, also spaces of secrets, of hyper-control, of segregation, and places for routinized, often ruthless exploitation and the evasion of social and political obligations. Um, and, uh, you provide quite an impressive sort of global history of the zone, which suggests that in some form or another, they're going to be around for a long time. So I'm wondering if we can talk a bit more about the sort of urbanity of the zone, um, and just sort of as urbanists and as social thinkers, how we can sort of wrestle with their possibility. Um, one of the key words in your book here is disposition. And I think that zones have a fairly nasty disposition, um, uh, I'm I'm sort of curious about this idea of how this sort of what we can do with this nasty disposition and if it can in fact be productively hacked. Um, So I'm wondering if you could sort of tell us a bit more concretely about what this hacking would, would look like and discuss a few examples. Um, I mean, I'm thinking about zones like offshore tax havens, um, treasure islands, many of which you discussed, like the island of Quiche or Macau, um, to say nothing of darker zones like CIA black sites. Um, the the sort of major quality about them is that they're, they seem especially resistant to political transformation, and they're organized to be such. Um, so they tend to be devoid of of traditional democratic urban mechanisms, the sort of things that urbanists look to as um, those aspects of urbanism that make cities contestable and transformable. um, Things like counter-public or oppositional spaces. Um, zones seem to be designed to be democracy resistant um, and that is their sort of nasty disposition so I'm wondering if hacking is sort of up to the task or if to continue the metaphor um, we might need to sort of think about designing totally different programs instead Um, in the book you say that you want to you want to sort of avoid grand narratives about infrastructure space and about zones and especially grand narratives that sort of invoke big C capital or big N neoliberalism um but it seems like zones fit the sort of broad story of the neoliberalization of urban space quite well so I'm, I'm trying to sort of think of an example of a zone that is incentivized towards empowering rather than exploiting labor or incentivized towards collective welfare social solidarity rather than individualistic advancement or enjoyment and nothing really comes to mind so I mean yes sort of zones are unique um, and, and each zone is different and they do sort of change over time but I think if there is a sort of family resemblance at all to the zone. Neoliberalism doesn't seem like such an inapt way to capture it. Um, And I think it's, I mean, it's it's quite easy for people to say, oh, well, this is a case of sort of neoliberalization of urban space and leave it like that. But I think there are actually deeper issues at stake um, because if there's a sort of deeper pattern that um, contemporary urban infrastructure, contemporary global urban infrastructure is taking, um, then it, I think it is a matter of sort of recognizing this pattern and dreaming up alternative infrastructures, infrastructures of solidarity, infrastructures of social democracy, um, and if hacking is is a, a sort of way to get there then um, I think that that is that is excellent and we should sort of talk about at least you know if that's possible and and and, and what that entails um, I also want to talk about uh, another sort of key part of this book, which came, came through in this talk as well, um, which is the sort of sensibility that you develop here, which is an affirmation of action over object, of knowing how over knowing that. Um, it could be seen as a sort of pragmatic ethic of performance over abstraction, formalism, or programmatic purity. Um, And so you talk about the distinction between knowing how and knowing that, which you take from uh, Gilbert Ryle. Um, And you include his example of the clown. So the clown doesn't know the answer to the question, what is funny? The clown knows, um, as you write, how to do a pratfall, exaggerate his facial expressions, modulate his voice, or introduce another gag from his bag of tricks. So the clown's funniness is knowing how, not knowing that. And you write that in infrastructure space, to ask what is the master plan is like asking what is funny. Um, and I think this is, this is a, a very interesting point that um, we could talk about in more depth here. So I'm, I guess I'm wondering how planners, architects, and urbanists might sort of learn from this. Insight. Um, I mean, how can we avoid focusing on the spectacle? I mean, it's a sort of inert spectacle, but the spectacle of the master plan. Um, how can we avoid asking what is funny? Because I think you're right that a lot of um, a lot of sort of urban critique does sort of take this form of asking what is funny. Um, so I'm wondering what you think would be good sort of alternative questions to ask um, in order to understand the dispositions, the unspoken logics of of any proposed project. Um, and I do think sort of architectural and urbanists' knowledge and architectural and urbanist education um, is often focused on what is funny, as opposed to how can we how can we do better or worse pratfalls. Um, so I, I guess I'm wondering how we can sort of think critically about this sort of process that produces what is funny as the as the central way to uh, contest and think the city. Um, and it seems to me that connected to this issue, you're you're sort of arguing that infrastructure space demands a particular kind of political savviness and a particular kind of political knowledge. Um, And so this leads me to the sort of final point which I want to get on the table um, which I'll call the art of politics. And as I said, uh, some parts of this book remind me of um, of sort of guides to political action. um, And it... One guide in particular, which is The Prince by Machiavelli, and I think people, of course, associate this with um, sort of ruthless strategizing, um, but uh, he's, he, he's actually making quite a different point. And I, I kept on thinking about Machiavelli's discussion of Chiron the centaur. Um, so the centaur is half man and half beast, and the centaur sort of combines human and animal logics and teaches political actors that virtue in politics is not doctrinal purity, but rather knowing when to artfully apply an appropriate tactic. And that seems to be precisely the type of political actor that you're, um, you're saying is sort of necessary in infrastructure space. And, and um, that, that sort of political competence and, and artfulness is pre- precisely the kind of political virtues uh, that you think are sort of appropriate for the age of infrastructure space. Um, so you say that activists should learn from pirates, prisoners, hackers, comedians who, considering themselves too smart to be right, successfully pursue more slippery political practices. Um, uh, So I guess I'm wondering if you could sort of expand a bit on this thought as well. Um, Just as Machiavelli lauded the archers who knew to aim higher than the points they wanted to strike, you argued that activists should be like billiard players who put a bit of English, a bit of spin on the ball. Um, I think this is is, uh, in in some sense a manifesto for um, a set of political arts, which are essentially ironic, so humor, gossip, hoaxing, exaggerated compliance, and the offering of strategically ambiguous gifts um, and i guess i 'm wondering what you think the connection between infrastructure and sort of artfully ironic politics um, is um, and and what groups or individuals do you think are sort of particularly skilled practitioners of this kind of politics, um, but also if you think that this, this sort of form of political strategy that, that you are um, affirming, does this mean relinquishing any hope of transforming the state, much less the extra state in any longer term sense? Um, you, you, uh, you say that two can play the game of extra statecraft. Um, do you think there's any chance of changing the game, or is the only imminent potential for change our ability to become craftier players in it? Um... So I think I'll leave that here from now. um, We'd like to hear more from you and from the audience on these points. So thanks again for this great read, and thank you all for listening.
1: I don't know where to start. Um, Thank you so much. That's just amazing. Uh, sort of rapid fire uh, read the book. I, I mean, I, I, the discussion of, of zones is a long one. Um, but but I wanted to sort of hasten to say that I it's it's not as if I am looking at that form as something redemptive, but but a form that's kind of in an emergency situation. Um, so someone last night asked me, "Well, isn't it just? Aren't these uh, zones just um, you know part of an?" you know, we can think of Genoa or Venice or something like that. And I said, "No, no way. You know, it's it's not like that." Yes, yes, we might be able. To, yes, there might be an evolution, but this is not. You know, there, there were there were dozens of free ports in mid-century of 20th century. This form has become contagious in 130 countries. There are thousands of them. It's changing lives every day. Um, so, so well, there's nothing about the. Form Form that is anything but violent, uh, in, in, in its very disposition, the, the, the nasty disposition you talk about, it is violent in part because it, it just the way it handles information. If we're seeing information as a, an information system in space, um, the zone is incredibly violent. Incredibly violent information system um, because it, it only it only allows its own compatible information to constitute information um, it only allows a kind of compatible platform to constitute information I mean to say um, so other people, um, workers—you know—these these things can be just erased. They don't—they don't exist. Um, laws, you know, these things don't. Exist. So there's an essential violence in it that makes it incredibly dangerous. Uh, and the more it's drenched with sort of happy stories, and the more it's called cities, even the more dangerous it becomes. The more it becomes part of of the aspirations of developing countries, um, it, it becomes even more of an emergency. It's seems to me when when the next poorest country is told that you know their their forty percent unemployment is you know the only thing that's going to relieve that and the only thing that's really going to ensure that they get the World Bank funding sort is, uh, is, is if they take on another one of these uh, zones um, so uh, it's a black picture in in, in many ways, um, uh, and there's nothing that I'm that I think about the zone that is that is a tool you would like to have. Um, it's the one we have. It's and it's rapidly growing. So uh, you know, can can one it, it, if so many irrational things have become part of this zone in the last thirty years, uh, and if if there can be all that porn that I was showing you, is is, there an, is are there other um, things you can trick it into doing? Um, are, are there other thing, other other messages it can carry? I mean, it's interesting how the green message is one that is now like pretty contagious in in the zone. Um, uh, but you know is is there a way in which some of those developing countries that are producing um, you know the, the world's new business models can can they give us a new spatial software can they be the leaders that that overturn this form and make something else contagious within it and that thing that would be contagious you know would be interplay would be not 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 the scripts of freedom um, the the kind of false scripts of liberalism which are really just about this is a manipulated space not a, not a free or it's you know so but not scripts of freedom at all all of which are contradictory but f- scripts of, in, of interplay of of obligation and the kinds of things I'm talking about are kind, about a kind of can we think about a kind of time released set of interplays which which um, which which can create some kind of counterbalancing and sustaining forms. So it's not the architect going and saying, "Well, I've delivered the master plan to you," you know, um, but but rather have a kind of protocol where uh, interdependencies remain in place and balance each other, and you you don't know what they will do; they are out of control on some level, and yet there can be explicit instructions for their for their interdependence. Um, so I, um, I mean, I guess that's getting, in some ways, too, the the business of know, knowing knowing how instead of knowing that. Um because the skill I, I was saying the other day that it, this feels like a book where you're trying to allow someone to rehearse something like making biscuits um, not cookies um, but in the, the the US biscuits you know which are which is a dough that you you know you it's you feel how wet it is and that's how you know you know when it's when it's working um, so so some of these things are um, uh things which one would have to become accustomed to uh, a a different kind of authorship, um, a different kind of um, artistry, a different kind of aesthetic pleasure, where one one isn't done with one's fabulous master plan or skyscraper, but instead it, it requires another kind of ongoing vigilance that, as I was saying, is indeterminate to be practical, but we can learn. We, we we often learn those arts, um, and we often uh, know how to. Um, in, there's enormous aesthetic pleasure in in that kind of artistry. of um, uh, the The theater metaphor came up throughout the book. You know, an, an actor is up to their elbows in making action. It's it's part of part of what they do. Um, um, and then I think the, the one of the last things you were saying you were saying you know is this is I think you're saying is this is something where we are just kind of pricking around the edges almost like that we're we're um, uh, you know we're we're only um, uh, kind of. Uh, um, Occasionally, uh, tricking power into into a slightly different um, direction. Um, I think I think you know. I think you could see it that way. But I, but I'm in fact I'm worried about the last part of the book being interpreted that way um, because because what what I see in in. In infrastructure space, I see those as the main tools, not these kinds of uh, inf- uh, kind of narrative inflections of the. Of, but I see the multipliers, the switches, the remotes. Those are the solid tools of muscle, and and there is something about the way they are in infrastructure space that I think provides extra political capacity. Some of these other things are maybe a little bit like an extra little turn, but it's 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 the fact that that infrastructure space is is f- is capable of maybe making huge sea changes by changing one little thing. So it's not—it's not the kind of minor tactic. It's the—it's that's that we one hopes is multiplied, you know, kind of hopefully. Um, but uh, it, you know, something that could potentially strike at the heart. Um, it's the way I think of it. So um, you know, that—that's the sort of reverse of the David and Goliath um, idea that. You know, this is not David. This is a sneakier David that uses Goliath's size to do something really big. Um, so that's something within. That's not something within these kind of cute, uh, inf- political inflection, sneaky political inflection, but something in the nature of the space itself that seems powerful to me. Um, so anyway, I've said. I've said enough. But um, um.
3: thank you. Um.
1: Thanks very
0: much. I think somewhere in this articulation of of the how is the who. And when you refer to the potential of design as a practice of dissent, um, I have to think about how the architect enters into this narrative. And I remember as a student reading Dayan Sujik's book, Hundred Mile City, where he refers to the architect as the messenger boy of change. And I think increasingly we've begun to see the disposition of the architect as as someone who makes concessions. We're neither David nor Goliath. We're one of the two sidekicks. And so in opening questions to the floor, um, I really encourage the architects in the room to also respond um, to the potentials of their practice in an era of, of deep crisis. So please, there's a hand raised already. Um, I might try and take two questions at once, if that's OK. Um, are there any mics? There's someone uh, about sixth row down. Thank you.
4: Hello? Yeah. Because I, I'm an architect. I'm also a graduate of the London School of Economics, strangely. Not its art uh, school, that is. Um, <clears throat> I hear your, what you say and with certain passion and elegance. Um, and you say it's in 100. You, we have these zones in around 130 countries of the world now. I've been to some of them. I'd struggle to name more than perhaps six, ten, and so forth. Um, it seems to me that zones are... I've got two points, really. They, they work, if they work, they work because they are hubs and spokes. So when you think like Shanghai, it's uh, you know, China, export-led economy, compliant workforce. It's got a global kind of and a sustainability as a result of it. Um, so places in the Gulf, uh, it's all about the petrodollar at the end of the day. That's why they work. Nobody goes to Qatar to live their entire lives, and they go there to make money. And that's the simple logic of it. Um, and it seems to me the other point I was going to make, so that's the hub and spoke point. I don't know what goes on in Kenya what zone is there, whether it will work or not, but it just seems to me you need to have a kind of seed or something that gives it a global reach. The second point is this, is that um, zones, it seems to me, the new zone, what I call the new zone, is a response to the old zone, and we are in the old zone as we speak, (laughs) In the same many ways, um, you know, we are a city surrounded by the inns, of court uh, and barrister's chambers, which are the centre of a global zone, a global zone of knowledge. It's the global zone of, of the common law world, of which 20-25% of countries... Uh, some form of legal system connected to it. And that is a very, very powerful extra zonal concept, if you see what I mean. that It has a location that you can identify but is something that is so entrenched that is beyond anything about the pastiche architecture and the uh, the, the golf courses and so forth and that really what New Zones are trying to do is to offer some form of temporary competition to the old, very established zones whether they're legal, financial and so forth and it's like, I think that is where the fundamental weakness of the New Zone is that unless it has a very strong kind of hub and spoke model of China the petrodollar kind of model uh, actually, these things will just fade away. Uh, they don't have a sustainability to them.
0: Can I press you for a question there?
4: That was, uh, that was my response.
0: A response, okay. Let's take a, another. I
2: right, Thank you for your talk. Uh, you gave us more metaphors than I can count. And so I'd like to just return to the first one that I recall you using that you used a few times. And can you tell us what is a matrix
1: space? Uh, Sure, sure. Right. Um well the 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 matrix space that I was trying to describe is uh, um, uh, is the, the, the sort of what I was calling kind of cartoon set of now I'm giving you more metaphors I'm sorry um, but but a kind of cartoon set of logics the the spatial products that um, and recipes for space um, so it's it was it tricky with this, you know, do, do you call it an infrastructure space, or do? You, and when you say the word infrastructure, then that makes that makes one think about a kind of substructure. But what I'm talking about is the structure of the not the substructure, but the structure of the city itself. The 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 not something that's hidden under the ground, but something that is the kind of repeatable rules and formulas and standards for for making space. That's what I'm thinking of as the kind of, this kind of soupy. Matrix of, of details, and um, before this book, I worked on a book called *Enduring Innocence* that was all about these kinds of spatial products and looking at how they were constructed and how they were constructed of time and um, uh, and flight distances and uh, costumes and all, all the things that go to, that go together to make the recipe. Um, um, Stock keeping units, and uh, um, you know, a a whole set of. Rules and um, specifications, Uh, so that something like a Walmart, you know, is is even in in the industry called something like Frost. You know, it's like the 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 contain. I was trying to show that the container, the thing that we as architects are trained to make, the kind of geometric enclosure, is a kind of byproduct of a set of rules. And I'm trying to kind of unfocus eyes to see the matrix rather than the object. So I don't know if that, but I, but it, matrix also seemed to me to be an interesting word, just because it, um, um, from urbanists to. Uh, to 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 cancer uh, uh, researchers, you know, looking many people looking at context and matrix, uh, a more more complex context. Um, so, I'm thinking this kind of infrastructure space could be like that. Could 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 summon some of the same kinds of intelligence and in thinking of, of, of other disciplines that are looking at matrix instead of object. Um, I hope that is a little bit. Um, I'm not so sure how to how to respond to the um, to the one about whether whether the zones work or not. I mean, they it's it's very possible that they'll all dissolve as quickly as they've appeared, but I it seems quite unlikely at the moment. And but and as you're talking, it it, it seems important to where uh, if I had time to give something a more complex picture of them, they're all they're all very different in their Different contexts. As, as as much as they are alike, they also do have significant differences. Shenzhen is is very different from um, some of the others in that it operates like a mega city. It it also has also it has a kind of um, uh, its own uh, kind of political life and so on. Um, so 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 they are very different, um, and I'm I'm glad. I'm I'm glad that you also mentioned the the old zone since since from Treasure Island I guess you're reading I don't know if it's in Treasure Island or in Blood Bankers, but it but you know it's it's Manhattan and the city of London which are the real you know the big offshore islands um, in the world. Um, more questions?
0: Great, thank you. There's one in the front and one in the middle. Let's take two in a row again.
5: Hi, thanks very much for um, a really great talk. It was really stimulating in a lot of different ways. Um... I think one of the things that um, really struck me about your talk is that there's a real assumption from the outset of the zone as bad. And what you've presented, I agree, is quite terrifying what you're talking about, this contagion of zones around the world. But I've just um, come back from working on the, the, some of the projects that you've been talking about in Kenya and um, as an anthropologist. And one of the things that really struck me during my research, and that I I'm really struggling to know what to do with Is that actually I came up across, came across very few critical voices. So of the people that I was working with, from uh, public housing tenants to architecture students to people in City Hall, from um, really small scale, sort of informal sector people to big business people, that actually these visions of the future are very desirable and they're not met with a particularly critical gaze. They're not coming from at all the same perspective that urban theorists in the US or, or Europe are coming from and I think um, if we're going to take seriously the desires and aspirations of people who live in these spaces then I'm wondering how do you deal with that kind of um, completely polar opposite idea of desirability from what you're suggesting
0: Thank you. Right, let's take Adam' question in the front
2: Hi, i um, Adam Kassa from the Royal College of Art. Um, thank you very much again for your talk. Um, I just had a question about the word contagion, and it struck me as a a really interesting thing because what the question i would have would be do we need to know how contagion works in order to work through it it seems that viruses work in very different ways than a kind of teleological politics and so what are the implications politically of of working through something you don't quite know where it goes and, and how it will function thanks
1: those are such good questions thank you um, uh, uh, no I know I know exactly what do you mean um, uh, and in uh, not not only are the the, the zones are attached to the incredible aspirations um, and 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 useful aspirations and um, uh, you know as we were saying um In Kenya, um, if it seems as if uh, something like these zones now that finally broadband is there in full um, uh, and a sort of a greenfield enclave can um, uh, invite, uh, can can really attract foreign direct investment, and that can that really has a chance of alleviating a forty percent unemployment. It's it's very it's very hard for you know uh, the permanent minister. Of communications or something to see that as kind of a the a, a bad thing. Um, so um, uh, it, there's also countries like I was just on a panel recently with someone from Libya, uh, you know, torn up by war. In his view, the zone was the only thing he had to uh, to uh, uh, kind of attract some foreign investment because he was trying to uh, set up a little incubator for educating um, young people and so and and he said, that you know the the job outside of the zone was worse than the one within the zone, that that kind of thing. Um, so so while one doesn't want to treat the zone as some kind of redemptive formula or ma- or make it more um, uh, self self sustaining than it already is, is is there still a way to manipulate the stories that are attached to it? I mean something like Kanza Technology City that I'm sure you saw or saw plans of is interesting because. It, because, as we were saying, it, it's one of those that, that has quickly uh, um, um, adopted the green script. Um, uh, so I'm wondering what what other scripts can go, go into it. And uh, Nairobi is Nairobi is the place one really wishes would would not take the take the old formula of the of the ex urban zone. Um, a place like Guadalajara is already trying to use the existing city, invest in the existing city, um, use some of the buildings in the existing city, rather than the more expensive um, ex urban enclave. So so there. I think there are ways of channeling the same aspirations and, and funneling some of the same foreign direct investment and making it um, safer for labor and also, um, you know, potentially returning more benefits to the domestic economy. That was the thing that the World Bank in. In the '70s, was sort of and uh, and uh, uh, and Unido thought, oh, this really isn't working. They 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 reported that they, that it was a suboptimal economic formula. That it would be better to just invest in the invest in the infrastructure of the country rather than making these enclaves. But by that time, it had already become kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. So in some ways, I want to just return to another moment in in that history and. Um, Think about what would really um, uh, benefit a domestic economy. Well, you know, how how could it be channeled in a different way, and how can how can the players in the in the next poorest country that's swallowing this thing turn the tables on on the form? Um, uh, I mean, to, to your question about contagion, I think it's—I think it's a really good. one. I think one doesn't know; it's incredibly dangerous. Um, any of this is dangerous, and none of it is—none of it is something that you can pat yourself on the back about and say you've come up with, you know, some, some kind of—you uh, know—absolute remedy of some kind. Um, I mean it, it, if, if it is if, if one's dealing with a kind of disposition that has dynamic markers then it has dynamic markers and uh, it's your, your part of what you're doing is continuing to navigate the river um, I guess
0: let's, let's take uh, two more and then I'm going to give you a, a breather so the man in the blue and the gentleman in the front here please thank you
6: you. Um, I just wanted to pick up on this, sense of, this discussion about scripts. Um, and is there something about you mentioned the green script which resonated uh, with me? Is there something about the kind of the health script or health as a script? Um, and there are two two examples, I suppose, that may may. Develop that theme. One one would be Songdo, which you mentioned in Korea, where they're beginning to sell the land, um, which is obviously underpinned with um, broadband technologies. They're beginning to sell that land based on access to telemedicines. So there's a kind of a differentiation there, depending on what you can pay for. And so is that one example of of of, um, of the urban form being used to disintermediate around telemedicines, and the other one would be Ebola. Um, Is there a sense of zoning going on there to create healthy spaces uh, for bringing up um, communities who are free from contagions?
3: Let's take the last question. (coughs) I'm I'm concerned with the possibility that there are a sort of um, hierarchy of different kinds of zones that they're more about. It's obvious that some are are perfectly physical, they've even got walls around them, they're like an industrial estate, a trading estate. Others are immaterial, they are to do with special protocols and permissions. And Licences, legal definitions, and so on, and others are uh, not only immaterial; they are actually secret, mm-hmm. and uh, in, indeed far from making a show of themselves, as many of the ones that you've shown are making a show of themselves in a way, uh, absolutely concerned never to be seen. Mm-hmm
1: it's a it's 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 a very good point in the the you know it's it's kind of in a talk when it does a certain kind of thing but but the 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 book spends a lot of time to show how impossible it is to tax on, to categorize the the zone format and there have been many people who've tried to do it there there's sixty six different <laughs> Kinds of names for zones, you know, the, from FTZ, ET, EPZ, SEC, all of those. Everyone kind of reinventing them, um, and and yes, all on a spectrum from from being absolutely immaterial, uh, um, like a server somewhere, um, to to being a, a gigantic megacity, um, and and uh, in varying degrees of of um, visibility and secrecy i mean absolutely right it's it's a, it's a it's a very strange form and that, that there's so much that's there's so much that's being repeated and then there's so much that's very different and it's that it's actually that that, that makes me feel hopeful um, that it's mutating on the ground in so many different ways that it that it, it makes it seem penetrable to me um, so uh, but but the book does try to go into that that longer more granular uh, set of differences between them I and mean, one of the one of the things that you know there are funny mutations that appear in the zone like sometimes uh, there was something called it doesn't um, Dubai humanitarian city which was going to be which would seem to be like a kind of a um, a, a zone for critics of the zone, or something uh, uh, like a zone for NGOs that were um, uh, trying to stage disaster relief in the in the uh, subcontinent, in, uh, uh, Africa, and, uh, and the subcontinent. So they, um, uh, um, I mean, it goes a little bit to your to your health question. Um, Most of which I feel unqualified to answer, Um, uh, but there have been there have been many different kinds of of little cities, um, um, different kinds of enclaves that have, from the university to the museum, um, that have that have all kind of taken this zonal. I Have a colleague who calls it zonal, um, because it's it's just the idea of adding a kind of incentivized urbanism to any possible program, um, and making an enclave out of that. From from you know Dubai, uh, I mean um, Qatar Education City, you know, is so there are all kinds of things that are put in the contents of these of these enclaves, um, and I just don't know enough about the the health situation to. End. Answer your question um, intelligently, um, um, but it, but it but it's a very strange and mutating form, which um, which has as many different many different components and a, and a and a very fast but but very granular history, I think, can be told. I'd like to thank you
0: all very much. Thank you, David, for some great questions. Keller, thank you for a a really imaginative, kaleidoscopic talk, and especially thank you for a terrific book. Um, Please join me in a round of applause, and please remember that Keller is available for book signing after this. Thank you very much.